Yeah, totally. I mean, the, the idea was to replicate the jungle, but uh, we couldn't have Fog of War, right? Like in a right. video game, uh, we couldn't find an elegant way to do that. So instead, what we did was uh, created this uh, rule, this mechanism, where the perimeter of the dome, so the line around the dome, is blocking line of sight, but it's not blocking movement. Oh. So that's, uh, that's something... Um, I don't think it's... I, th I think it's something new. Howdy friends, Craig here. Ray has a great conversation with Yakimo Neri of PvP Geeks. He's one of the designers of the new card-driven miniature board game, Sky Tier. I thought it was really interesting to find out how GW's Shadespire inspired their game design. They liked the basic concept, but found some shortcomings. What they decided to do was to marry Magic the Gathering with Leagues of Legend. It's a card-driven MOBA board game. Now, they did send a copy of the game to the third floor, and uh, I took a look at it, and I gotta tell you, I was very impressed with the models. The sculpts are really impressive. The two of them go in-depth on how the game works, what the basic mechanics are, some key decision points, and really how they took the idea of uh, a MOBA and translated it to the board game itself. I think you're going to find this really interesting. Enjoy. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Ray here on the third floor and today we're drifting away from pure miniatures to a more underworlds or god tier kind of concept and discussing PvP Geek's first game, Sky Tear. Now joining me to talk about this interesting new game is Giacomo Neri. Giacomo and his team are from Modena, Italy, and have an already impressive track record as this game launched and was successfully funded not once, but twice. Giacomo, welcome to Third Floor. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and the interesting journey that brought Sky Terror to us? Sure, hi. Um, thanks. So the journey started uh, about two years ago when uh, we tried uh, Shadespire, Warhammer Underworld, for the first time. And we realized the potential of the format of the box at uh, Wargame, sort mm -hmm. of. Except we saw too many shortcomings and things we didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> so we decided, okay, let's do something better than Games Workshop. Why not? Yeah, why not? So, <laughs> So here we are after two years. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. And, and it's happened pretty quick, too, because like you said, it's just been a couple of years since the the involvement of the idea of like, you know what, this game's good, but it's not that good <laughs> um, to <laughs> let's get something that is on Kickstarter and is successfully funded. Um, and that's really incredible. Yeah, we're quite happy. I mean, uh, to what I can say is that um, I think we we went all in. Uh, in a sense that uh, mm -hmm. both me and my brother, uh, the other partner in in this project, uh, we went full time for two full years. Wow! And we invested a lot of money. Oh, sure. We could have bought an house, you know, and uh, 
Yeah. So there was definitely the gamble then. It's like, we're, this is either going to work or we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, it was a huge risk. And uh, so I think that helped in uh, dramatically speeding up the, and accelerate the project. Well, it's awesome. That's very incredible, man. It's such a pleasure to have you with me today. Again, thank you for joining me. So we're going to do some quick uh, just preamble here. Those who are faithful to our podcast, you know the drill. But for our new listeners, here's how this episode's going to break down. We're going to talk about the game in four different sections, starting with the theme. We're going to go over what the setting is and how does that theme translate to the table. We're going to talk about the pregame where we'll determine how wing conditions are determined, how you build your crew how you, or the army or list or whatever that is, um, and then what decisions are made in general before the game begins. Then we'll move to in-game and talk about the mechanics, what makes it unique, what kind of cool things happen there that are going to make it worth playing. And then we'll finish everything up with the hobby aspects of the game. Now, following the likes of Juggernauts such as uh, Come On, PvP Keeks includes all the minis you need to play in the box with expansions planned for release to help expand the game. And it's all pre-assembled, so you don't have to put anything together. You can go literally from picking it off the shelf to putting it on the table. So we'll kind of go over what you can expect from contents to quality in that regards. Now, normally I would read the blurb or elevator pitch from the website or Kickstarter page, but today we're going to just do the tagline and get right into it because this is a phenomenal tagline, and it's The Magic the Gathering meets League of Legends, a card-driven tabletop MOBA. And for those of you who aren't familiar with what a MOBA is, it's a online game, uh, it's, I believe it's mo uh, mobile online or multiplayer online battle arena, where you're picking multiple heroes to push down lanes that have waves of minions coming down it and try to blow down your opponent's defensive towers and eventually get to their base and take it out. So if this doesn't pique your interest already, well, I beg you to keep listening because it's going to get a whole lot better. Now, that's enough talking from me. Giacomo, you and your brother Ricardo, you said both you designed this game in about two years. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the inspiration for the game's thematics? Like, what made you choose to do a MOBA and emulate that on the tabletop? All right. So, uh, first of all, we were addicted to MOBAs, uh, to League of Legends ourselves. And uh, mm -hmm. so that, that's a good starting point. Uh, sure. Second, we saw what we thought was a hole in the market. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, first of all, uh, video game mobile players are millions. Um, so it's a huge market. It's one of the most popular video game genre. But also, uh, we couldn't see a tabletop game that was trying to uh, emulate MOBA at the right level of abstraction. What, for our taste and for our um, you know, point of view, is the right level of abstraction. Right. So... Given the fact that we wanted to make the ultimate competitive miniatures game, um, I think the mobile angle was a very good one for us to, to come from. Um, so I don't regret the choice. <laughs> I can't argue with that either. And it's like it's and it seems like that's kind of the gestalt of a couple of games that have come out. So people, you know, players uh, look at a game and go, you know what, this could be so much better if just they did this. And a lot of times that ends up just kind of being table talk, you know, where you're talking to your buddies. It's like, man, if I designed a game, I wouldn't do this. But you guys just, you took the risk, took the plunger. It's like, you know what? This could be better. We love MOBAs. There aren't any MOBA table talk games. Let's just do this. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> now, there's 24 playable heroes with eight already included in the core box. Uh, was there a particular design goal for these heroes? What was, what was, uh, what led you to do 24, for instance? Yeah. 
24, first of all, if you're a first-time creator or designer, don't do that. <laughs> Lesson learned. It's an overkill. It's there's so many. But with this said, we wanted to have uh, that many because we, uh, we wanted to have a thriving and diverse, interesting, competitive scene. And we knew that uh, we needed such a, some kind of critical mass, right? So with this said, the goal of, the, of, of this uh, design was uh, diversity and, and especially a balance, to use a very overused word. We wanted to make sure that all 24 were interesting in their own way and playable and competitive, so to speak. Right, just kind of minimize the variance between top tier and bottom tier, so to speak. Right, exactly. And that's, by the way, that's the same philosophy we use for designing the 96 cards in the, in the, in, in the set. We wanted to mm-hmm. make sure, you know, unlike typical trading card games, that we didn't have any filler or any, you know, cards that, meh, you will never play. Um, so that was strong design principle for us. Okay. And so Ricardo Parmigiani is your lore master for the game. And uh, because you have two Ricardos, you, I, he, I believe he's called Parma. Yeah. Um, so did, is he the one who came up with all the lore and all the concepts and all the thematics for these 24 heroes? Or did you and your brother already kind of know what world you wanted and then he built it from there? Oh, he, no, he totally made it himself. Uh, we, wow. we just helped a little bit with the art direction. And we said, okay. uh, for us, it was really important to not uh, have women uh, treated as uh, object, you know, and, uh, you know, avoid a gra- a gra- uh, nudity. Gratuity. Yeah, gratu- yeah. yeah I, c- I cannot pronounce that word. <laughs> no, I can't pronounce it either, and I speak the language. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I speak, it's the only language I speak, I should say, and I can't say the word. <laughs> so how do you feel these thematical concepts translated to the table? So Parma comes up with all this lore. You guys come up with 24 heroes. And so one of the biggest selling points for a game, especially a heroes-based game, is that the mechanics tie into the thematics of the characters. Um, do you feel you're really able to pull this off? Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, very satisfied of uh, the result we got. Um, like I don't know. For example, uh, we didn't mention yet there are four factions, right? Okay. And each faction has a very strong thematic um, uh, connotation. And um, for example, the green one, my favorite, they are the jungle tribal one, and they their gameplay is based around these uh, pillars that they get to place on the map, and um, and the, the, the peculiar thing is uh, um, each hero can use pillars from anywhere on the map. So oh, wow. it gives sort of like a you know, hive mind kind of right. feeling uh, of being everywhere. And, um, and they could go on with the, all the three factions as well. Um, but I'm quite um, satisfied with the result. Yeah. Sure. And, and so like each of the heroes have like their unique abilities, but then they also have these synergies that identify them as, hey, I am the green faction or I am red faction they just have those yeah. innate synergies that kind of work together yeah i can i can briefly i can briefly go over them just to give an idea to the listeners yeah that would so be I wonderful can, yeah like the, the the blue faction i won't say names because <laughs> there's no need for them but the blue faction is uh, is the one that is able to uh, transform into wild animals at will nice and they are like uh, the ice faction it's a, it's a faction is kind of as sort of an element, we never say that officially, but uh, you feel it immediately yeah, the, as you watch them. the design. The design direction, the art direction is like these guys have a lot of ice going on. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, there is like the yellow faction that's like coming from a desert, and they are like an aristocracy of mages, and they work uh, gameplay wise with illusions of themselves. 
Oh, wow. That like uh, overwhelm the opponents, right? And uh, they are all about control, tricks, and... Uh... And then there is the Red Faction. The Red Faction is the first we designed. It's uh, inspired by the Japanese kind of culture, and... Uh... Well, it's all about direct damage and... Uh, you gotta <laughs> have at least one of those enemies. factions. Right. So if you play with a kid, if you, with your son, he, he, he's gonna get that, right? Right. So, yeah, give him the one that just beats people in the face. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. And so each of these factions, like in the world, the whole premise is that there's... I believe that there's that they all are in part of these islands that kind of float in the sky. And that's where the name Sky Terror comes from. Is there's a little bit of tie-in to that uh, thematically? Yes. So um, uh, we kind of lost that link, actually, uh, between the two Kickstarters. So mm-hmm. long story short, we did our first Kickstarter, but we ended up canceling it, even if it was funded, because uh, we had to learn still a bit too many um, manufacturing things. To, to get things right, right? Oh. And one of them was uh, that we had two separate game boards, like Shadespire has. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea was that uh, you could merge them, right? And they were like the two floating islands um, uh, crashing into each other. And so you could ah. see the, the break, the tear between the two islands, right? Uh, but the problem is it was too expensive. So we ended up cutting that and uh, for at least the first iteration of the game mm-hmm. so the name remained but uh, you don't see the terror anymore on the board so oh, okay that's a little instead, instead you instead you've got the the dome in the middle yeah we, we still had the dome even back then uh because the idea is that the dome is is created after the after the two islands are collab- are crushing each other it's like energy released gotcha and the the skater uh, skater is the energy right and 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 the energy mm-hmm. release, the sky terror release from the, the crash, uh, creates the dome and the sky terror elemental that is this monster that that the heroes can try to tame, right? And uh, the outsider is called. Man, that's really cool. So, it, for people who are into the fluff and like want to know a little bit more about what's going on, are there like backstories for all these heroes? Is there like you know lore that you can go to the website and kind of find out, yeah. or stories or anything? Oh, totally. Yeah, website. Well, what you said is correct. Uh, if you go to uh, playskytear.com, um, you'll find a short backstory for each hero. And mm-hmm. if you want to dig deeper, we also have an art book with uh, you know sixty-four pages illustrated art. Oh cover. wow! Yeah. Uh, but more than that, we want the lore to be constantly evolving. And so mm-hmm. we just started last month in February a global campaign where we're going to release a scenario each month. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and we take a player like uh, battle reports in. And based on those, we are influencing the development of the lore. And so. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. I love it when companies do that too, man. It's like it's one of my favorite things. Like because when you're a player, it's like there's just a great feeling about being able to go to a table, have a game, and then know that you know reporting that result is going to affect something, and that when you know, the next thing that comes out, you'll be like, "Hey, this happened because of what we did in our game," type thing. And it doesn't matter if like you directly affected it, but you're just kind of a part of the a greater whole, and it's just a really great feeling. Yep. I really want to get into some rules and mechanics for the pregame, but we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come right back into that. Howdy friends, here on the third floor, you'll find us playing Malifaux and other games on Mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible and lighter than neoprene. 
Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. Pick a mat size, pick a design, then choose an overlay like the one for Marvel Crisis Protocol or Malifaux 3rd Edition. It will speed up deployment and the placement of strategy and objective markers. If you're going to Adepticon this year, be sure to check out the Mats by Mars booth. Until the end of March 2020, you can use the new promo code thirdfloor 320 that's thirdfloor 320 to get a 10% discount on your next order. In the notes, you can ask for the third floor logo to be put on your mat for free. Again, use the promo code thirdfloor 320 to get a 10% discount. Details are in the show notes. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome back. Now, this is a massive selling point from your website, and I really want to address it because it seems a little too good to be true. But, Giacomo, your website says that you can set up and be ready to play in just two minutes. Can you walk us through how that's even possible? Well, first of all, people didn't believe us uh, and write so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we had to record a a video with a stopwatch to actually demonstrate that. Oh, that's great. And it's actually way less than two minutes. But if if you write 30 seconds, people really like will never believe it, right? Oh, sure. Anyway, um, that was one of our one of our constraints since the beginning. Like we hate messing up with components, tokens, and setup, right? So we simply decided we needed a very fast setup. And okay. the, the way it works is quite simple. You put the board in the middle, mm-hmm. and then you build up this stack of tokens. That those are the towers. They are defending your base. Okay. And then you put like uh, four minions each. They will help your heroes in advancing and tearing down the towers, you know, and then the base. And you are pretty much ready to play. Wow. Um, Then, of course, there is a disclaimer. That is uh, the the draft phase where you pick the heroes. That has some setup involved as well. Okay. But but we consider that to be already the pregame. Like, uh, it's not boring. It's actually... You're actually playing the game by this point. You're actually playing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, so this is... is, We're talking specifically about the standard variant, which is... Because there's two variants that I remember reading in the rulebook. Depending on which side of the board you're using, you can either kind of do a team-based variant or you do one-on-one, which is where the competitive play is done. Mm -hmm. And in addition to taking out your opponent's base, there's three win conditions that get flipped randomly from an objective deck. 
What led you to kind of include that randomness in the alternate paths to victory? Was it just, you know, going back to that time constraint, you just want to speed the game up a little bit? Yeah, it was exactly about that. Like, so uh, another constraint we had was uh, we wanted to finish all matches in under 50 minutes, okay, for tournaments. Wow. And so we couldn't do that without these uh, extra victory cards, victory conditions. So... Um, we introduce them, uh, even if they're not like mobile, like uh, in proper sense. But sure. the, the fun, the fun uh, fact is that people, uh, this is one of the most liked aspect of the game, of the gameplay. Oh, wow. It brings so much variety and also so much tension to the game because one of these three is enough to immediately win the game. And these are shared oh, between you and the opponent. Oh, I gotcha. So basically, like, you flip those three win conditions and then you draft your heroes after that. So now it's like, all right, who do I bring to be able to not only just maybe score one of those, but prevent them from being scored? Yes, exactly. And maybe you start the game focusing on one and then you have to switch over to another. But the fact that it's sudden victory makes everything very, very exciting. And this ties into that whole trying to keep the game moving a little quicker, too, because... Like, we play a lot of Malifaux at Third Floor Wars, um, as most of our listeners know. And one of the things about it is that it's a two-and-a-half-hour game, which there's no problems with that. Like, game, miniature games in general tend to take a long time. But with the more games that have been coming out and the more evolved the player base becomes, it feels like finding games that can fit into that hour, hour-and-a-half, you know, niche is becoming much, much more important. Yeah, I mean, for us... Uh, like Ricardo, one of the, the, the main designer, my brother, uh, was a big uh, time player of Malifaux. And uh, okay. he was frustrated by, by the tournament scene because um, most of the games wouldn't finish, right? Right. So from day zero, we decided, okay, we need to, to make a game that we can finish in 50 minutes. And not just us, the designers. So we actually didn't know this was working until like a couple of weeks ago when we had the first official tournaments and we saw that actually the vast majority of the games will finish in the 50 minutes even from oh, wow. new new players that's very that, important for us that's going to feel great though because that means because like so I, the problem of course being that like you guys know everything yeah, so obviously you're going to finish it fast yeah in 20 uh, minutes <laughs> right, but like someone who's never picked the game up before and was like, hey, I've played like, or has only played one or two games, like, hey, let's go play this tournament just for funsies. Yeah. And then they're still finishing in an under an hour. That's got to feel like quite the achievement for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and the, the bonus point is people like that as well. So we were. Oh, even better. You know, so sometimes you have to embrace constraints and they'll bring you to nice places. <laughs> yeah. And apparently for this one, I brought you to a fantastic place. So we got to love that. Now the part. Let's talk a little bit about the um, the deck because one of the one of the caveats here for the setup is that like we don't include deck building in that pregame time, mm -hmm. right? Because and correct me if I'm wrong, but you, the decks also kind of come pre they come preconstructed. So like if you want to just crack open the box and start playing, you can absolutely do that, right? Yeah, you just shuffle all the cards of the same color together, and basically you're ready to play. Okay, but for complexity purposes, this game can ramp up pretty quickly because you guys do the Mal the Magic the Gathering thing of allowing you to build your own deck of, uh, or I think it's multiple decks, um, and you do that before you come to the table, right? Right, so it's, uh, as you said, it's multiple decks. Um, the way it works is uh, uh, in the competitive format, you bring to the table six heroes, right? 
mm-hmm. and you're gonna play only with four of them. Oh, okay. And and you you draft these heroes only once you see the victory cards, mm-hmm. and you do that uh, back and forth with your opponent. Uh, but the interesting part, and then coming back to the deck, deck building now, is that each of these heroes uh, has a pile of power cards, eight power cards, uh, that you can customize so that uh, the same uh, the same uh, warrior can be built in a more aggressive or more defensive way or you can specialize it in you know in dealing with minions and stuff like that so the interesting part is as you draft your heroes your four heroes you're shuffling together all the the cards that you prepare for them so it's not that you simply build a static deck of cards and it's always right. the same for the entirety of the tournament but you dynamically build the deck based on the victory cards and what your opponent does. And so that, that's something people really like because uh, it makes everything more fresh and more diverse. Sure. Also avoid the matchups. Like uh, there are no matches that you have lost before even trying. Yeah, which is a big thing to uh, some games where it's like before you, you get to the table and declare your, the list that you're bringing or whatever, and before you've even put malls on the table, it's like, oh, well, I've lost this game. <laughs> yeah, right. So, but also, like, the fact that uh, it's not always the same list and, and deck of cards is, was very important to us. Sure. And, um, we are quite happy where, where we arrived, and then, of course, we'll see, now we are experimenting with the community and, and looking for alternative formats that may maybe include a ban of the hero, like they oh, do in okay. MOBA. Right. So you bring maybe seven euros and they, I ban you one. But uh, for now, we're just keeping it simple and, and we will evolve over time. Absolutely. There's no need to rush the issue because it's like you've already got the solid core to work from for now. Yes, certainly. And so it's, it's very nuanced. And also like uh, in, into the equation, you have to put like the hero skills, right? Each hero has unique skills. So... That uh, quickly builds up a lot of complexity. So yeah, absolutely. And so, is there if you want to, if you want to embrace it, otherwise you just play with right. It. Otherwise, you can either just play with the pre-con decks, or you know, or just keep yeah. it simple and be like, I'm just going to yeah. do all of these types of cards because I don't want to have to think too hard. I just want to smash face. Yeah, right. Now, so when you're designing these cards and you're picking like your six heroes, does faction matter or can you mix and match your favorites? How does that work? Yeah, so um, you can mix and match your favorites. But with this being said, you have an incentive to... Uh, there are synergies from heroes from the same faction. So oh, okay. four heroes, uh, four red heroes will work well together uh, best than, you know, mixed factions. But of course, if you start uh, picking heroes from neighbor factions, uh, you can uh, enable different combinations and strategies. So uh, nowadays in tournaments, you see all kind of uh, all kind of combination except the four colors. I haven't okay. seen it yet, but I think it's only a matter of time before uh, that one will emerge as well. Right. So, once more heroes have dropped and the games expand a little bit, someone's going to find that secret combination and be like, "Haha!" Yeah. Right. So. We already have a hero that uh, is like the green mage. Um, this this dude with six arms, he can <laughs> uh, he can play any kind of colors. Oh, so it's is I can already tell you it will be the one enabling uh, this kind of archetype of the that's, four colors. Uh, that's awesome. So, yeah. all right, and what about the? So we, we talked briefly about the win conditions, and so the way those are generated is just at the beginning of the game before you pick your heroes. 
you mm-hmm. flip out the three. Is yeah. there any kind of talks about variations on that front as well? Like, you know, flipping more cards and picking the three or being able to like, you know, be like, no, I don't want to play that objective, flip a new one. Is Or is that something that, again, you're just kind of waiting to see how the game evolves first? Yeah, we want to keep it simple, you know? We want to keep it simple and evolve over time. So we started like this, but um, we are, you know, talking with the community every day, basically, and seeing what uh, people like and not and what, you know, and doing experiments. So now in April, for example, um, we are releasing a new uh, expansion that's called Outsiders Expansion. As you as you might remember, Outsiders is the name of the monster in the dome, right? At the center of the map. Yeah. So we are adding new kind of outsiders, and that oh, will, nice. that will add another uh, uh, pre-game element because you'll be able to bring your own outsider to the table together with the heroes. And uh, oh, yeah. So that that will add uh, yet another layer to the to the pre-game um, if you want to dig. Um, so it'll, it'll, take, it'll take two minutes and 30 seconds now instead of two minutes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but worth it, yeah. I'm really into this, man, but I think we need to dig into a little bit more of the in-game mechanics because we're wetting the appetites of everybody, but we're just kind of skirting around the main course. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about decks. We're going to talk about uh, pushing lanes, and we're going to talk about the mechanics that make this game uh, different from all the other miniature games you may have played on the market. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T H I R D F L O O R F R I E N D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. Welcome back, everyone. Giacomo, we've talked about the theme, why you should be interested from there. We've talked about the pregame and the level of customizability and flexibility that it provides. Now, we've got to go over what differentiates this game mechanically from the flock, because there's a lot of mini games. It's the golden age of miniature games right now. You'll hear that being th- tossed around a lot. And starting right off the bat, this game says no to randomness, or at least minimizing it as much as possible. Talk to me about the powers deck, how you resolve those attacks, and and the various actions you can perform in Sky Terror, please. Yeah, sure. So, well, first of all, uh, on the back of our box, we say no dice, right? (laughs) Really hate that. Uh, but we still like randomness and unexpected stuff. Um, sure. The first few months of Skyterra, it was horrible. There was so much little randomness that it was like uh, boring as hell. Um, but then we we picked up a mechanic that is basically uh, flipping a card is replacing the rolling of a dice. Okay. And um, so your audience is familiar with Foe and, uh, yes. and the deck of fate, right? 
Yes. Um, I think we innovated that a bit in a sense that we integrated that more into the gameplay and the deck building mm-hmm. because each power card that is the you know the power card are, are these decks that you build before the game, right? And they are special right. power that your heroes can do. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a second function uh, that is uh, they have a modifier, right? So, okay. So that they can be used as a dice. Our replacement of a dice. Oh, and, gotcha. So, kind of like a fate deck that's got special abilities on each of the cards rather than suits. That's right. The, the important thing is um, uh, there is a correlation, uh, or or in uh, we 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 were mindful in assigning some kind of modifiers to some cards. For example, there is a very strong card uh, that is called Time Warp. It mm-hmm. allows you to basically dodge uh, many attacks, right? And uh, and then uh, very good card, super frustrating. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the thing is, the modifier it has is a minus one. Oh! So if you fill your deck with cards like those, you're gonna have a card. You're gonna have minus one every time you flip the dice, and so you're gonna right. suffer miserably in the in other fronts. So. Uh, on the other end, we might have a you know a very um, uh, situation situational card that mm-hmm. is uh, might be good, but very situational. So sometimes you waste it, and so uh, that card has a plus two modifier instead. Okay. Okay. And so you, you use the modifiers almost as you know a uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's almost as a cost to the card. Like it's it, it pulls double weight. So not only is it modifying your attack, but it's like, hey, if you want to include this card in your deck, you're gonna to have to pay the piper because it's such a good card. It's not gonna help you in the duels. That's right. And then we have a third element since we're speaking that I should bring up because oh, okay. that's uh, you know to give you the full picture. Mm-hmm. The same card has a third function, and that is uh, it will. Um, help the hero in pushing forward with the minions. So mm. if you don't play the power card as a special move, you can play it as a bonus to, to push forward with your minions, okay? Oh, so th- that gives use to a card that might be situational. And, oh, I can't use this card because it's just it's a dead card for this particular matchup or at this particular time, but I'm going to still be able to use it for something even if it ends up in my hand instead of being yeah. flipped. And and it's the third variable we put into balancing and designing the cards. And it's a bit hard to uh, explain it into detail without getting into the rules. But I just wanted to raise sure. it, uh, you know, to bring it up. Um, I can make the, the, the extreme summary of this. That is, um, if you build a deck with a, with a high mana curve, that is, cards that take a lot of mm-hmm. mana energy to play, mm-hmm. um, that's going to be a very slow deck but you are going to have an edge in pushing forward. So in, in, in uh, moving forward with your minions. Right. On the opposite, if you do a very aggro deck with a low uh, mana curve that, with cards that you can play right away from the first turn, mm-hmm. you're going to have a hard time pushing forward with the minion. So that's an important uh, breakthrough we had in the design process. Uh, it's hard to explain it with words like this to the audience. I'm, I'm doing my best. I don't know if it makes any sense. No, I think I think you're doing a great job of it because, like, 
with the again tying this into the complexity of that pregame, like looking at those win conditions, that might that's a reason why you might take one hero over another, or depending on how you design the deck. Is like if you have this mage that you have high mana cards, high, high mana cards are using because you wanted to push lanes and then drop stuff late game. Those conditions that you flip, the win conditions may not be conducive to that. And so now you've got to go for something that's a little more aggro heavy and maybe reach for that other hero that you have in your kit that can, that's not going to push as well, but you don't need that for this particular game. Yeah. That's really cool, man. Cause that, it just, anytime you give decision making power to your players, I think you, you're doing a good job. And striking this balance between getting good modifiers or getting cards that affect the game more powerfully. It's just going to be something that's like it, it's going to create really interesting, unique strategies to be match, married up with the various heroes that are here. But um, and on that note, there's there, the the power cards are not the only ones that have that kind of complexity curve, like the heroes do as well, right? Because they have a basic or an advanced version that you can play depending on how complex yeah, you want so to go. Another thing we really wanted to do is uh, eliminate any kind of um, uh, I don't know how to say this English word gratuitous gross. Um, like free complexity, unneeded complexity. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Um, so, um, like, uh, we wanted to make sure that every skill was used, right? And was meaningful and, uh, and useful. And so, um, and even then, we, we decided to have two versions of the game, one simplified without skills, because we thought that was adding a lot of complexity up front. And, uh, and increasing the barrier to entry to new players. So we designed uh, this uh, simplified mode without skills that you still get the feel of the game, but you don't have to read up the hero skills and you don't get bogged down in trying to remember them and using them, you know, uh, from the first game. So, yeah. That's very clever, too, because you hit on that uh, buzzword, the barrier of entry, and that's actually... That's probably one of the biggest problems I think miniature games have these days. And normally it's related to cost, but the second thing that it's that it's normally attributed to is complexity. And like Malifaux has one of those problems where its barrier of entry for cost isn't too bad, but its barrier for entry yeah. for complexity is pretty high. Um, and so like being able to, to create a game that not only is the cost not bad, which it's not with Sky Terror at all, but the complexity like w- between being able to do predetermined decks and doing basic heroes, you know, and then like a two minute setup time, 50 minutes of gameplay, like that barrier of entry is extremely low. And then you can ramp it at your pace with your friends. That's it, yeah. That is very, very cool. I could, I'm, I'm going to get like all fanboy over this. So we're, let's go keep pushing on here. We got a lot to cover still. So let's talk minions and do a little bit more meat and potatoes for like the mechanics of the game. So. Mm-hmm. Minions, obviously, for MOBA, or maybe not obviously if you don't play MOBAs, but minions are designed to take out towers. They're pushing lanes so that you can keep pushing further and get deeper into your enemy's territory. So um, in this game, minions are, the way they move is fairly streamlined, and you simplify the concept pretty pretty elegantly, I would say. Can you tell us about this and how you arrived at its current iteration? Yeah, sure. I mean, minions were one of the central part of the design and the one that took most iterations. Uh, same with towers, like uh, defending towers. Like we basically stripped away everything we could, um, and we ended up with those uh, with the current iteration. So right now they are basically um, we didn't want to we didn't want players to have to do bookkeeping with them. 
you know, to remember okay. to move and to do stuff with them. So that was very important to us. And um, the way we are adding uh, uh, interesting um, aspect to the minions is with cards, special moves, right? Right. But uh, by default, minions are just fancy, um, fancy control points. And um, because we tried many iterations and we have some, you know, uh, many skeptical MOBA players that say, hey, minions seem a bit too, um, how do you say, uh, inactive mm-hmm. or uh, passive. Yeah, too passive. Uh, and why cannot, I, why cannot I attack towers directly with heroes? And why cannot I, uh, you know, build, uh, buy, sorry, buy items or uh, level up? So they keep asking all these kind of questions of stuff they expect from a MOBA. Uh, and our answer is always the same. That is, we are inspired by a MOBA, but we don't want to do a simulation of a computer game. Because in the computer game, the computer can keep track of all these variables for you. But if you have to remember oh, yeah, to do yeah. that yourself, that's going to bog you down a lot, right? Right. It just ramps that complexity up needlessly, needlessly. Or at least yeah. for, at least for the beginning. Like maybe stuff like that can be introduced later. Like you guys are bringing in the uh, the outsider yes. to the pregame, yes. but like it doesn't have to be there right yes, now. Exactly. So a lot of the time, uh, we have such a long list of things we could do and we want to do with the game. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, ninety five percent of the time, we had to exercise discipline and say this is super cool. It doesn't look complicated to us that we are the designers and we know everything by now, <laughs> but uh, it's time to you know put it in the freezer and talk again about it in six months. It's very smart. And so that was basically the conversation most of the time. Okay. Now, so for minions, um, just for so I don't want to go too deep into the rules per se, um, but how, so how do minions interact with towers and how do heroes interact with minions? So the heroes are, we obviously we just discussed that you can use cards to help move them that you yeah. haven't, that are in your hand that you haven't used for something else. Um, and then there's a phase that they move themselves based off of the board state, correct? Right, that's correct. And so let's say you've got, so how does this actualize on the table then? Like, so what happens as a minion pushes up a lane, gets towards a tower, what goes on in there? Yeah, so as I was saying before, you cannot attack towers directly with your heroes. Mm -hmm. That's another thing we uh, removed because we couldn't find the right um, mechanic for it and and, uh, to simplify things. And so the only way to damage structure and towers and the nexus is at at the end of the turn when when you determine who is pushing more on the lane, okay? Mm -hmm. So basically, you simply count heroes and minions within three axes toward uh, the center of the the line. You know, in the MOBAs, there is a a line where minions meet. Yes. Uh, At the start of the game, it's at the center, and then that line gets pushed, you know, based on... uh, on Yeah, kind of a tug-of-war concept there. Tug-of-war, yes. So you simply count heroes and minions, and they each count one uh, within three axes from that uh, line, and that's it. That's uh, who has more is winning. Oh, okay, gotcha. And so what what does winning get you if you are the one who has more? So basically the difference of uh, the two uh, points is the damage that you're dealing. Oh, okay. So you can hard push if it's, uh, the difference is big, it's five. You have, it's a strong push. So you have five damage that you're dealing. And first you damage the minions. And when minions are all gone, 
you start damaging the towers. Gotcha. So it's very so very zone of control. Yes, that's a, that's a big selling point for me. Uh, that makes it very different from uh, all other arena games mm-hmm. um, or skirmish games because, uh, like my favorite playstyle, for example, is uh, is the green and blue faction. And uh, I like to win without killing a single hero. Oh, once. wow. Okay. I just like to hide in the brushes and summon minions and, uh, you know, push away enemies and slow them down. And so just advance with my horde of minions and win like this. Wow. I, I, I really like so, the fact that that's even a, a possibility for a strategy. Yeah. I mean, um, because in, at the end of the game, you have to destroy the enemy base. Sure. So if. Uh, of course, it helps in uh, defeating the enemy heroes. It's always a good thing to do. <laughs> but right, uh, if you build up some kind of deck that is centered around not doing that, you can still win. And, oh, that's uh, awesome. So what happens when, uh, when you do defeat a hero? So like, let's say you're clashed in the middle here. Yeah. And you know, your opponent's got two, three minions. You've got two, three minions. You've both got two heroes there. Yeah. And neither of you, are, you're not really making any headway because of that. Yeah. Um, so you're like, all right, I got to take out one of these heroes. And right. you do. W- what happens at that point? At that point, um, there, is a, there are a couple of things going on. First of all, you draw some cards. And cards are the essence of this game. It is essentially a card game. We didn't say it before, but we should say it. It's a card game with heroes on a map. Like, so cards are everything. So um, the fact that you defeat an enemy hero gives you experience. And we represent experience as extra cards. Oh, okay. And um, then the other, the other thing is uh, that hero will come back. Like in, okay. uh, in MOBAs, if, uh, the, if you're familiar with the, with the mechanic, heroes will spawn again. So uh, they will lose one turn. So the, the enemy will uh, have to do one turn without them. And that's, mm. uh, that's uh, you know, out of four heroes, that's a big loss. Yeah, that is. So there is the, the risk of snowballing from there. And, um, so, and, and that's basically the, what happens when you defeat an enemy, right? So you draw cards, and it will come back. Okay, cool. So the, the only other thing about the, about like the middle table that we haven't discussed then is the dome. Which is effectively, would, could you call that the jungle of Sky Terror? Yeah, totally. I mean, the, the idea was to replicate the jungle, but uh, we couldn't have Fog of War, right? Like in a right. video game, uh, we couldn't find an elegant way to do that. So instead, what we did was uh, created this uh, rule, this mechanism, where the perimeter of the dome, so the line around the dome, is blocking line of sight, but it's not blocking movement. Oh, so that's that's something um, I don't think it's I, th- I think it's something new uh, where you, uh, heroes can just walk freely through it in and out. But if you are inside the dome, you don't see outside and vice versa. OK, and that's uh, uh, making um, and that kind of emulates that fog of war. Yeah. Somehow uh, it's making the map feel much bigger than it is. Mm hmm. Because of this, uh, you know, uh, white wall that you can walk through it. Sure. So, I mean, you let me know once you try the game how it feels. But I think uh, we're quite happy with the result. 
Okay, and there's also a couple of wind conditions based off of controlling the outside or inside the dome too. Um, yeah. So how pivotal do you feel that is in general? Like, can, is that like a viable tactic where you can like, I'm going to make a team of heroes and half of them are designed to control the dome and still pull out the victory, um, even if you don't flip that wing con? Is that still something you can do? Uh, yes, yes, because at the end of the day, if you make a team that's all about winning the, the dome, mm-hmm. uh, you're making a team that's uh, tanky and a team that's uh, good at pushing away oh, heroes. Oh, okay. So that's something you can still recycle, quote-unquote, on the lanes. So nice. you can still go on the lanes and, and sort of, maybe you're not as effective because, because it's not the same thing exactly. But, uh, I mean, it's your fault, right? You are going all in on one strategy, yeah, so exactly. it's risky. Yeah, if you're, if you're willing to take the risk, you got to take the risk. You know, you got to be willing to, for that to, not to pan out for you. Yeah, I mean, and then uh, with this said, uh, it's also the reason why we have six heroes. So you bring six to the table, right? So you mm-hmm. might build three that are vertical around a victory condition or a couple of victory conditions. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you have three that are more like flexible. So you... Oh, okay, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, uh, we haven't still explored all the possibilities. So. All right. And so the only the other thing I want to talk about is... Uh... Well, two things I want to talk about is uh, damage and mana, because you have to generate mana to play power cards, correct? Uh, so you have to, to you generate mana by default. Oh, okay. Yeah. So each, it's a little bit like Hearthstone, if you play that, mm-hmm. where uh, each turn uh, the, the mana ramps up. So no matter what, on uh, each turn, each single hero has mana equal to the current turn number. Oh, okay. So on turn three, each of the four heroes has three mana. And so on. On f- turn four, each hero has four mana, and so on. And that, uh, that gives a sense of progression to the game that's mm-hmm. really, that we really like it. Because um, on turn three, that's the turn when uh, three mana is the, cost, is the mana cost of an ultimate. Oh, so that's when, like, you know, the big things happen. Yes, like fireworks. So a lot of, a lot of uh, high-level competitive games is about uh, getting ready for turn three. And, and then capitalizing. Yeah, and capitalizing it, right? And um, so that's, uh, that's, uh, that's how we design the mana to avoid any kind of uh, mana screw. That's what, sure. uh, you know, magic player call when they don't draw mana. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah. And what about damage? How does that resolve? Is it just a flat number based off of the, the hero? So if my hero attacks your hero, we flip for the modifier and I win that duel. I just do, what happens then? Do I just do X amount of points of damage? Or so it- so there, is, there is a base damage that you deal mm-hmm. and then you flip uh, a modifier on top of that. Okay. Oh, so another reason to be careful about those negative modifiers is that it can impede your ability to deal damage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it can go to zero. Oh, wow. So that makes you very ineffective in maybe even killing a minion, for example. Oh, sure, yeah. So you pay the price for it, so to speak. Um, So, I mean, modifiers and randomness still play a big part of it. And that was important for us because you still have those exciting moments, you know, when you you flip... uh, a big modifier or a minus one, so that those are the peak of the game that you will remember at the end. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
So that's uh, that's the mechanic of it, yeah. Man, I'm, I got to tell you, Giacomo, being a fan of both League of Legends, I put a lot of time into that, and Magic the Gathering, um, you kind of already had me at hello when I first started looking <sighs> at this game. But uh, the rules also just seem very, like, they're, they're just very solid and inviting. It's like it's not overly complex. You know, you mentioned that was one of your big goals was to, to ease that barrier of entry, not just um, from the setup of the game, but the playing of the game. And it really kind of does feel like that. It's like... You can treat this as a board game, just drop it on the table, really dig, uh, or you can really dig into some of that tactical depth and kind of treat it as more like a traditional miniatures game that's fueled by, you know, deck building. Right. Yes. So we like both sides. If we had to pick one, we would go on the competitive side, of course. Mm -hmm. And so we had to make choices uh, along the way to to not make compromise, right? We did. We... um, our target market is clear. We call PvP geeks, right? So we are all about uh, <laughs> the play- PvP. Yeah, about the PvP experience, like the head-to-head experience of trying to, you know, outsmart the the enemy. Um, so with this being said, we are mindful that uh, many players will just enjoy Skyter as a board game. That's fine. We also designed the back uh, another map that is uh, more uh, with board gamers in mind. That is a bigger map that takes two hours to play. It has three lanes instead of two. It has no extra victory conditions. Mm. And it's like six versus six euros. Okay, and that's the one that's designed to be a little more like four people playing. Yeah, or even two, but um, it's more like a board game uh, in a sense that, uh, you know, takes two hours to play. All right, I think we've covered everything I wanted to cover for the uh, in-game, so I think we're going to take another quick break and then come back and we're going to talk about the hobby side of SkyTier. Hi, I'm James Hahn, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars because I'm a henchman who loses most of his games, and the podcast has tons of valuable information to improve your play as well as what to expect from other crews. You can support them too. The link is in the show notes, or just search for Third Floor Wars on Patreon.com. Big thanks to all of you patrons out there. We appreciate the fact that you find value in what we are producing. I need to give a quick shout out to some of our lifetime long top patrons. Um, so hats off to Nick Westbrook, Kevin Smith, Sam Newman, Stephen Morris, Craig Chuba, James Hahn, Jeremy Peace, Ambrose Ingram, and Brandon Somer. You guys are uh, the ones that have really done the most uh, for Third Floor Wars' Patreon, and we appreciate it. All right, so welcome back, everybody. And now it's time to talk minis. You get a decent amount in this game. The, every faction has their own minions, which I believe comes with four, uh, four minions for each faction in the base game. And then there's the heroes and, of course, the outsider, which also have minis. Um, so I, what does that break down? Is there, it's something like 25-plus minis in the in, in base game. Is that right, Jack? Um, yeah, it's 25 miniatures pre-assembled in the starter box, yeah. For seventy dollars, that wasn't easy. <laughs> yes, it, it couldn't have been. It's like I don't get that kind of like Malifaux. That's like fifty bucks. You get five minis, <laughs> and you and you got to put them together still. And not knocking Malifaux. Don't get me wrong. I really I really enjoy putting together the minis, unless it's one of the Gremlin models, which no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, we've all got we've all everyone who plays Malifaux has gone through the trial by fire of putting together a fiddly bit, and so there's definitely a great. Um, allure to a game that says you don't have to worry about that. Just come pick up a mini and put it down. 
Um, but there's going to be more expansions released, obviously, because we talked, we mentioned before that the core set comes with eight heroes, but there's 24 in the game. Are all of those released? And if they are, how are the expansions coming packaged right now? Do they do they also come with minions, or is the four that you get in the core enough? Like, what's the, what's the yeah, happening over yeah. there? So uh, yes, they are released already. So there are four expansions plus a core set on day mm-hmm. one that was uh, like in February, and. Um, because why that? Because uh, we are having tournaments from day one, and it's important okay. to have a variety and uh, many viable options and strategies from day one, right? right. So that's why we, we release everything at once. And um, also to give a signal to retailers that we are not just a board game, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And uh, to answer your questions, yes, they come with minions as well. Uh, each expansion. Uh, the way we pitch it is uh, basically it completes the faction you like the most because mm-hmm. unlike unlike uh, 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 the um, the usual starter box, we didn't pick two factions to put into the starter box. We right. instead uh, pick two heroes from each faction, so you end up getting a taste of all the four factions. And uh, and after that, if you like the you know the Japanese uh, aggro people most, then you can buy the the red expansion, and that mm-hmm. will complete um, your your faction with four more heroes, four more minions, and thirty two more cards to give awesome. you some deck building options. And um, and the same can be said for uh, for all the the other three factions, of course. Right. I know. Just a quick aside. I noticed on the artwork when I was scrolling through uh, on the website, the minions and outsiders are on hex spaces, and the heroes are on circular. Was this to kind of like help differentiate them on the table? Yeah. So yes. Uh, I mean, the outsider, the big one, uh, is uh, it doesn't move. Okay. So it occupies the axis, and with uh, also the three D, the sculpt of the sculpt of it worked best with a bigger base, hexagonal mm-hmm. one. And uh, a little bit the same can be said for the minions. We just thought it made more sense to have a different shape for them because they are designed to stay there and still until you push at the end of the turn. And they are very different from heroes. And um, if at some point we make uh, big uh, minions or small heroes, mm-hmm. we will be able to distinguish them by the base as well. Oh, that's a, that's definitely something. And that was actually something I was going to ask you about in the last segment was uh, was the big minion thing. So I'm looking forward to seeing if that when that comes to actualization because that's actually one of my favorite parts of League is seeing the big dudes lumbering down yeah. the lane. Yeah, I mean, as I said, we have such a huge list of uh, opportunities. So that's one of them. Like uh, because I want to see as well big uh, badass uh, minion monsters. Uh, at the same time, I also want to see the tiny hero. That can hide uh, oh, yeah. between uh, you know minions and stuff. So yeah, I mean, it takes time. And these come, yeah, absolutely. And these come fully assembled, ready to go on the table, as we've already said a couple of times. Yep. Um, what kind of material are we looking at there for the hobbyers out there for painters? Is it resin? Is it plastic? It's plastic, and it's very okay. very resistant. We were very careful in. Uh, and very detailed as well. I, I encourage all the listeners to go check out some kind of some unboxing on YouTube. There are many to see like the level of details 
that uh, mm-hmm. we could get because we we were lucky. We found a very good manufacturer and uh, nice. the same of uh, Mac versus Minions. If you ever um, got a game, for example, or Scythe. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, familiar with that one. So they helped us in making sure you know we worked a lot uh, closely with the plastic plastic engineers to make sure all the details would come through and uh, they would be stable and stuff like that. That's awesome. Yeah. And I and just from what I've seen so far, I, I do have to agree. Uh, check out some unboxings if you haven't already. And uh, Third Floor Wars will have our own unboxing for this game coming out in the next few weeks. Um, the minis are gorgeous. And actually, honestly, the artwork for this game is pretty gorgeous in general. The game board looks great. Um, the artwork that I've seen on the website and in the rule book is fantastic. Thanks. Um, it was that, is, is that something from, uh, did Parma do all of that? Well, uh, well, he did, uh, that con- he did our, our direction, right? So we had, mm-hmm. uh, we hired freelancers, uh, they are all okay. in the credits of the rule book. So you can check them out. And uh, or even in the bottom of the cards, and um, the thing is, we are uh, increasing the quality also for the expansions. So we are uh, nice. doubling down on the you know budgets and uh, trying to reach uh, the highest level we can. Okay, is there going to be any kind of uh, for, uh, other miniatures down in the pipes for like things like obviously terrain doesn't really work here. I don't feel because like yeah. you know when you're trying to hide your 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 hero in the bushes, for example. You can't actually have a 3D bush chilling out yeah. there. But what about for like, you know, towers or like, you know, for the home base or anything like that? Is is there yes. anything planned for that type of concept? Yeah, actually, we already have them. Um, oh, okay. But the fun part is they are part of the organized play kits. Uh, they are prizes. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing we really want to have. Very cool prizes and unique mm-hmm. stuff. And so... We took the idea of the translucent uh, miniature from Malifaux. Mm-hmm. So um, they, they are mystery boxes called, right? I think. Um, Malifaux has these uh, prizes, I think. Where yeah, mystery start. boxes is yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So we took that and also we added other things like uh, 3D uh, towers. Nice. That you can use to replace uh, cardboard tokens. And we added also plastic uh, chips that, um, you know, they pimp up your copy of Skyter, basically. That's awesome. And, uh, other than promo cards and the usual stuff. Okay, yeah. And it's like, that's, that's, that's a lore. That's draw there. It's like, everyone wants to come out and play a game that they enjoy. But it's even better if you come out and play a game you enjoy and it pimps out your game for doing so. Yeah. All right, and so we've talked about the expansion coming out in April. Is there one also coming out in summer, or yeah. is that the... Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, for us, another very important point was uh, reliability in the releases mm-hmm. and making sure we could, you know, uh, regularly release new stuff and and that retailers could get them. So uh, the plan uh, that we are trying to stick to is uh, a release every three months. Oh, so, wow, that's aggressive. Yeah, so right now we are printing the July expansion and we are mm-hmm. finalizing the October one as well. Oh, wow. And we are talking four new heroes in each. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is it Are the four new heroes, is it like one per faction kind of concept? Or is yeah. it like... Yeah, and I can give you a okay. spoiler even. Um, oh, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, one per faction, but um, they will be the first of a kind that uh, are designed to... Uh, work as a glue between factions. 
Oh, so kind of almost like crossover models. Sort of, yes. Because oh, uh, we want to shake up that. the meta, right? Right mm -hmm. now, there is a big incentive in keeping a single color, but still people mix them. But right. uh, from the summer, we want to introduce these new heroes that uh, will facilitate uh, new combinations. So B and oh. three color and stuff. That's going to be fantastic. I, I, let's see what you're saying. Like that four colors just around the corner now. It's like yeah, quite literally so. it could be. Yeah. All right. Well, I, you know, Giacomo, I really feel that you and your team in general, I, it's, I think it's four of you, right? Is that correct? Uh, four, yes. Okay. So the four of you have absolutely hit the nail on the head with this one. I'm super excited to start playing. Um, and I'm super excited for what we're hearing. Like, it sounds like you're making all the correct design decisions and you're making all the correct decisions based off of, you know, being players. And that's something we don't see very often. At least I feel we don't see often enough. And that is uh, developers who uh, respect their player roots and how they're approaching things. And for, you know, for honestly, such a small team to be able to have generated what you guys have generated is just absolutely astronomical. So that's very cool, man. I'm very excited for you guys. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to take one final break and then we're going to come back for the wrap up, do a couple of plugs and then get the old elevator pitch going. So stay tuned. Howdy, folks. Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. All right, welcome back, everybody. It's time for the old elevator pitch. Giacomo, for those listeners that might still be hesitant to dive in, and I don't know why you would be at this point, but just in case, what else would you might say to entice them to take the plunge into this unique and interesting game that is Skyter? Hmm. I would say I would say that we, the developers, are really with the community day to day, and super. Um, approachable you can just uh, chat with me on discord and i think that will uh help us you know develop and grow and we're not in a rush so you can take your time come uh, talk with us uh, have a look around lurk and uh, i hope uh, you love the game awesome i love that level of uh, interaction that you're that you're able to give right now because Again, one of those things that, like players, we don't always get the access to. And, and I think it's been something that the social media has helped facilitate, so it's a little bit more there. But being able to just go up to the developer and be like, hey, I love your game, but this, and be heard, mm -hmm. like, that's a, that's a really good feeling um, just in general, just knowing that you're able to, like, you know, give some feedback and that it's going to get read, it's going to get listened to, and, you know, maybe something even comes of it. Yeah, I mean, and at the end of the day, we are working to make the game of our dreams, right? And uh, we believe uh, there is a bunch of other people that share the dream. And we don't want to get as, ma as many people as possible, just the people that, you know, share, uh, share our own, um, you know, ideal game. Yeah. Absolutely. And I got to tell you, I'm definitely on board as one of those people sharing that vision because I cannot, I cannot wait to get going on this game. We have um, 
my close personal buddy and buddy of the show, Jim Ortiz, he's uh, one of the locals here for Third Floor Wars. And uh, he is a good friend of mine that is also uh, completely ADHD when it comes to board games and miniature games in general. And uh, he is my gateway drug to a lot of things, and I end up being his gateway drug to a few things as well. So uh, for those of you who didn't hear our last episode of Why You Should Be Playing, we talked about Starbreach, and so Jim and I have that scheduled up, but... When I started doing all the research for this episode for Skytar, I'm like, Jim, we have to play this game. Like, you don't understand how much we have to play this game. <laughs> so, I, if, if you are listening to this and you are still not sold on supporting Giacomo and PvP Geeks, then, like, watch videos. Like, check out these unboxings. Do, you know, please keep looking at this information because these guys have generated something that is greater than the sum of its parts and they deserve all of our support. Um, in the coming weeks, we're going to do a full review uh, at Third Floor Wars, and we're also going to do an unboxing ourselves, so keep your eyes open for that. Giacomo, thank you so much for joining me today on the third floor. You've been wonderful, and thank you so much for you, know, you your, uh, your brother, and your friends for creating such a wonderful game and sharing it with the world. Thanks. Do you have any news or plugs that you'd like to toss out? You already gave us a spoiler, which we really appreciate. Um, but is there anything else you want to uh, toss out to the listeners before we sign um, off? Well, yeah. I mean, um, like, uh, on our website, we have a store locator. And we might find, you might find that uh, you know close to you, there is already a um, store stocking SkyTR with some people into it. So that might help you get started. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Again, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. And from Craig here and I on the third floor, as always, please like and subscribe if you enjoyed the content today. Consider supporting us on Patreon if you want to get early access to our podcast or more. You can find us also on Facebook or at thirdfloorwars.com. And you can find more tabletop talk on any of your favorite streaming services. Heads up for some future episodes. We're starting up our new Solo Tactica podcast series where I'm going to be discussing and answering your Malifaux and other general wargaming questions. So please feel free to send in those questions to tabletoptalk at thirdfloorwars.com with the subject line of questions. This is Ray. Thank you again, Giacomo, for joining us, and we'll catch you all next time on The Third Floor. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes.